0: Welcome to the Real Estate Reserve Podcast with your hosts, Jason Balen and Ian Horowitz. Hey, 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 how's everybody doing?
1: What's up, man? <laughs> hey, everybody. I, I, Welcome to the we I got a new setup today. I got a new setup today. So I was like watching the new setup. I didn't really get into the, to the music. You know, normally, the music gets me going, man. Yeah.
0: yeah. If it wasn't this, you'd be listening to some
1: kind of funky
0: trance in your background or something in your office. Uh, All right. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing or Real Real Estate Reserve Podcast. I always want to use the word investing in between it because everything else I do has the word in there, but Real Estate Reserve Podcast got a great show ahead. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd. If you haven't tuned in or followed any of the shows that we've done over the last 30 days or so, we've been timestamping everything because The way everything's going in this market right now, things are changing day by day. Um, So what's on the agenda for today? We've got Vernon Vaughn. He's going to hop in here in a uh, a second, and we're going to interview him. He does new construction. He does a little bit of wholesaling. He does uh, some rehab projects. In the PG, PG County, Maryland area, and the Washington D.C. area, so we're excited to have him on here in a second. Then, as usual, we're going to hop into some updates that we've been seeing with the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. Obviously, there's updates going on uh, regularly, and then we're going to give everybody a sneak peek of what is ahead, uh, and a few new guests that are hopping on the show on Friday. So, let's bring Vernon in real quick, and we will uh, start with that.
1: What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. What's up, Vernon? Um, yeah, so I just want to take the time. We we had the pleasure of meeting Vernon at a mastermind event a few years ago. Um, it was really interesting to see what uh, you guys were doing with your business from Capital Gateway Development. So, if you just want to give a quick background about yourself and what your company does,
2: yeah, absolutely. I've um, I consider myself a, uh, a a a rookie veteran or a veteran rookie. I've actually been in the business since um, 2003. Still, kind of call myself a rookie man because I'm still learning new things every day. But uh, our company, our companies are Capital Gateway Development and Capital uh, Gateway Partners. Uh, And so we do infill new development uh, and rehabs in the uh, Prince George's County, D.C. area, as well as some of the other counties in the um, D.C. metropolitan area.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree with that statement that, you know, we're, we're all still learning. If you're not still learning, then, you know, you're not growing, right? So it's a, it's a great way to look at it that we're all still rookies. Um, So since you do a lot of new builds and a a lot of renovations in the PG and DC market, what have you seen? um, How have you had to adapt your business, you know, currently to what's going on with the pandemic? And Uh, You know, a lot of shutdowns with inspections and permitting. I know you got some projects in a few different stages.
2: Right. So, so far, the changes have been minimal, right? So in in Maryland, as well as in D.C., people in the construction business are considered essential personnel. So from that standpoint, we can still work. The jurisdictions we're actively building or rehabbing in are still doing inspectors for permits. You can still file permits. So, so far, we have not seen things that impact our business greatly. Uh, We do know, I guess one exception is that we can anticipate and probably have seen some uh, some increases in from material prices or from manufacturers. And that's mainly due to, um, you know, and and many, you know, manufacturers, I mean, their workforce has gotten sick or they've had to try to social distance and it's, it's impacted their, uh, their their capacity. Has
0: has the process been any slower than usual or, you know, or everything seems to still be up to speed. I mean, I know there's so many people that want to, you know, unfortunately people that have lost their jobs want to get back to work and the people that are currently working are are happy that they're still able to work. You know, have you seen the same thing related to construction where, Hey, my contractors are, they want to continue to work. My team wants to continue to work and business as usual.
2: Yeah, so it's so can, so contractors definitely want to continue to work. If, if anything you know if anything, you probably got to terrain them in a little bit just to make sure they are doing things to uh, keep themselves and others safe. but they, they certainly want to continue working. Nice.
1: Have you been dealing with, have you seen any issues with um, I know you are talking about building costs going up. Have you had any issues receiving materials? Have you had any backlog with that? Not,
2: not yet, not, not yet. Uh, and a funny thing is, with materials, it's even under ideal circumstances. Sometimes, um, you know, you'll go back to a, a supplier, and all of a sudden, you know, it just for any reason, it's taking two weeks to get something that normally takes one week. But we haven't had anything that's been impacted yet. We're specifically been impacted because of what's going on. Right. And t- in terms of timeline, pricing some of our suppliers have, have let us know to expect increases in pricing.
0: What's your thoughts kind of where we are with the market and where you believe it's going to go? I mean, I think we all are very optimistic about everything. We're optimistic, but we're cautious at the same time and real estate still being, you know, sold, purchased, traded. I mean, real estate's going on. It's it's that simple, especially, you know, the DC Metro and the Baltimore areas where we all service and we're all a part of, We we see it's happening. And, um, I, I, it doesn't seem that in general, there's enough pain in the marketplace for distressed sellers or distressed landlords to just unload properties. I think everybody was just expecting to hop in and scoop some super low bargain basement properties, which, uh, are priced properties, which just doesn't exist. But in general, you know, stuff is still kind of intact. Uh, but curious, at least in the areas that you're focused in, you know, the PG and, the, and, and DC, you know, where do you think that kind of goes through the summer into the fall? Well, it.
2: Here's the thing, the market will be impacted. I just don't know when, where, and how. Right? It'll, it'll be impacted. So right now, what's gone on in our economy has has the defi- has kind of def- defied conventional wisdom. Right? Um, stock market is doing way better than it should be, like way better. And I know we've. Yeah, there, there's been stimulus, but I mean, compared to how many people have filed unemployment, it's, it's a drop in a bucket. Um, yep. So we should by all means be at, you know, I mean, be at great depression levels of, of what's going on in our economy. And the Dow Jones Industrial just is is, is barely faced, right? And so there's some irrational exuberance. Um, one thing about real estate, so so in the stock market, you know, depending on what goes on doing a news day can have an impact on the market immediately. Real estate, not so much, right? So real estate is, you know, in terms of prices, right? So anything that sold was likely put under contract pre-COVID timeframe, right? Back when the world was all sunshine and rainbows. So we haven't yet seen how, how it's going to impact the market. Um, you know my i was i've been in a business since 03 so i was around in 08 and i can tell you in 08 even though that was a totally different uh, set of circumstances you know real estate very local so within a dc metro area which is you know i call a 50 mile radius from downtown dc it's you know you saw some areas which were barely impacted and other areas were, were decimated right back during that time maryland You know, was consistently in a top five or top ten when it came to when it came to um, to to foreclosures and defaults. Um, Prince George's County was hit hard. Meanwhile, much of D.C. was unfazed. Right. Much of D.C. um, was a hiccup. And then you saw prices shoot way up and you saw neighborhoods that pre-crash weren't million dollar neighborhoods quickly become million dollar neighborhoods in D.C. And so I, I don't expect this to be any different from that standpoint of all areas won't be impacted equally.
0: Yeah, and I'd agree with that. And I mean, I remember because I got in the business similar to when you, were, when you got into the business. So I, I, I wasn't all that impacted, mostly because I just didn't have a gigantic portfolio around that time, that time either. And when we started our lending company, it was early 2007. So it was somewhat at the bottom. Right. Hardest time to raise capital, but the easiest time to find really good opportunities. Um, and I was a little bit lucky. But I, I mean, I remember in Prince George's County that, you know, 30, 40 percent of the whole state of Maryland's foreclosures were in that county. And some of those areas just completely got shot. And they and they came back stronger than ever and right. quicker than most ever. But a lot of it had to do with it, that the foreclosure process just took forever because they're just backed up. The court system is over and over and over and- and know, over it's not
2: like they had moratoriums. They had moratoriums. Yeah.
0: You couldn't foreclose. Yeah, that. That's yeah, that's that. that's right. And it's and it's interesting. And one of the things that I talk about so much with a lot of other, uh, I don't even want to call them industry experts, but just people like us that we've been around for a while, we've seen a lot of things, we've got our hands dipped in, in in the market. Is I believe that most of these areas, although they'll be impacted, at least the median housing price areas. Let's talk about that. Won't be impacted all that much because there's only. It's not like the house you live in is just going to go down by eighty percent, and someone could pick up a house that might be worth four or five hundred thousand dollars and buy it for fifty grand or hundred grand. That's not going to happen. But that being said, you know, in most median housing prices, you know, they in areas that typically get affected are the ones that hey, I can either rent um, a house for two thousand dollars a month or buy it for $1, 000, $1, 000, $1, 000 a million dollars, a million dollars, you know, to buy the property. That gap around here is much closer. It's Not going to happen. You know, right. typically you buy a property for $400,000, um, in whatever upper Marlboro for $400,000, or you rent it out for 3000 bucks a month. It's, Uh, it it equals the same thing. Your mortgage and your rent will equal the same. And that's, and I think that's a good thing in, in general, that there's just not a humongous gap related to that. And I think that'll really help affect, um, or not really affect as the market happens. And I think the other good thing, um, and, I'm curious your thoughts as well is as there's going to be market changes and market softenings, I think it is going to happen on a slower period of time instead of just (laughs) all at once. The floor just collapses from from under us. And, hey, if something happens slow, uh, you know, everyone can adapt to that. Right.
2: I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's I mean, so. So I agree. It'll happen. So, I mean, as you see, I mean, like so we're already kind of throwing. Everything, including the kitchen sink, at the current situation, um, and so you know that that is going to kind of soften the impact. Um, it won't, you know, will will it? Will it? I don't know. Will will it stop what's going on? Will it? You know, I I, I don't think so. I think it'll lessen the blow, but um, I think we'll be impacted on extreme. So we'll be. So I think you'll I think you'll you'll probably see the biggest impacts in and kind of workforce housing, where, you know, many, you know, where a lot of the people, you know, millions of Americans that are filing unemployment, you know, in that price range that they're buying in, you'll see that impact. Also, I think you'll see the impact on the very high upper end. You know, and in D.C., you know, we've got got plenty of million-dollar neighborhoods. So, you know, maybe that upper high end might be houses that are almost two million dollars. And, the reason that those people that you'll see impact there isn't because of income or loss of income. It's because people in that price range will feel like, you know, I should be getting a till right now. I really should be. Because often those buyer pools are small to begin with. right? They're, they're not big buyer pools to begin with. Some of those houses at any given time, maybe they're a handful of buyers form. And so when half of those people decide now is not the time to buy a $2 million house and all of a sudden uh, something that already had a small buyer pool is reduced by half, you know, those people are still buying, probably realize that they've got some leverage at that point, you know, once again, they don't need to, but why wouldn't you?
1: Right. Why why let a good crisis go to waste? Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly it. That's exactly what's going on right now. and, uh, you know, it's interesting that it seems to be a common theme across it. And before we jump into, you know, the new houses that you build and, you know, what you're seeing on that front, uh, you brought up 2008. What do you say? You live through it. You were an active investor. Then what do you say to the people that, you know, they're like unsure what's going on right now? You live through 2008. What, what's your major takeaway from there that you can apply to today um, and say, look, guys, it's going to be all right. I learned this in 2008 through this whole crisis. This is what I'm doing today to protect myself.
2: Right. So so here, here are the things we're doing in our business. So number one, the most important projects are the ones that you own right now. Doesn't matter if you closed on it yesterday or if it's scheduled to sell tomorrow. Now is the time to have both hands on a wheel, right? Don't leave things to chance. Don't let things go on autopilot unless you have somebody watching that process i mean for instance like if you're scheduled to settle tomorrow on something you're selling doesn't matter if you're wholesaling it doesn't matter if you're putting a tenant in it doesn't matter if you're selling it to a retail buyer don't assume everything is okay just because you haven't heard anything right don't assume that the buyer is going to show up at settlement that the tenant's going to move in or that your uh, investor buyer is going to close like you probably should have checked a few days ago just to make sure everything is still okay you know, we we had a deal fall apart, a uh, deal we were buying a few weeks ago fall apart because, you know, financing change. Uh, we had we had we had some private financing commitments that kind of dried up. And, you know, so we were scrambling up until the last minute before we had to kind of say, you know what, we've got to let the deal go. So I don't assume because you haven't heard anything that everything's OK. So now's the time to check on on your transactions to make sure that they're still intact. Um, If you're rehabbing anything, doesn't matter if you're rehabbing it to rent, rehabbing it to sell, uh, watch your budget, uh, stay on top of project management, because the best time to have a property on the market was yesterday. Next best day is today. Um, I hear some people talk about timing, like waiting until whatever, waiting until this thing blows over. I don't know what the hell that means. Right. So. (laughs) i don't know what that means i can say the best day is to is to get it done as quickly as possible so that you've got a product for people to rent or people to buy um and and also i mean kind of pay attention you know kind of play up to your strengths and and mitigate your risk um for deals that you're in the middle of acquiring sharpen your pencil double check your budgets get really great at doing due diligence. You know, it's, you know, the market has been, you know, prices have been appreciating over the last few years. So we've we've had properties where we bought it and, you know, six months prior to coming, you know, when we first bought it, you know, we we expected it to sell at maybe, you know, $800,000. And by the time we're done, it might be worth 840 or 850, right? right? And that works out for you. But also, you typically also go into that with a budget of 140 and end up at 175, and so it's kind of evened out. Well, you gotta kind of you gotta kind of assume that hey, your problem if you've been doing that in the past without if you don't change anything, you will continue to overspend. However, you can't, can't you can't and you should have never banked on appreciation. And God forbid you are buying aggressively, you know, beginning to start out with, which we don't do. But God forbid, you know, in a D.C. market, sometimes you see things you see probably sell at 80 and 85 percent of ARV, you know. And so that
0: that means yeah. everything has to go perfect. Which yeah, you, I mean, that's been very. Yeah, that's been very common for a long period of time, getting high debt, high leverage on all of these properties. Um, yeah. you know, I in in my opinion and people don't like hearing this, but like I think it was a disservice for a lot of these institutional lenders to come in here and give 90% acquisition, 100% construction and I know that gave people the ability to to do projects with least least amount of skin in, but like you know, you don't give yourself a huge you're already buying stuff at skinny margins to begin with and I mean, obviously, you know, the cheap, cheaper rates I get, like that's that, that's very, very helpful. But at the same time, you know, not having much skin in the game and, you know, not being able to, you know, you have a little bit of bump in the road, a little, you can't execute perfectly and you're underwater on those projects. And that happens a lot. I mean, I, I mean, I'm on tax records and land records and MLS every day. And I'm like, I can't believe you got a loan for this high on this property. Like it's, it's not good for you. It's not good for them. It's not good for the, the lender and it's not good for the, the investor. Um, what's your, what's your thoughts on new construction right now in general? I mean, I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there that are a little bit nervous to get into a new build because just because the time, you know, the the time restraints and how long it'll take from start to finish. I know a lot of people obviously, you know, would rather get into some shorter term projects where they can, you know, see the end of the rainbow in the next few months and not potentially a whole year. You know, what's your kind of opinion on on getting yourself involved in a new on a new build today, knowing that, you know, by the time you get through the whole thing, it could be, you know, into the next year.
2: True. So. So you're wise to be slightly scared of new construction. Right. Because it's it, it is it is the better part of a year. Right. From from closing to closing, it's the better part of a year. Um, if you had the time you're taking before you close, you add in to do the time for due diligence. I mean, it can be over a year that you're wrapped sure. up in a thing or that you have at least set aside capital to be able to take it down. And so with new construction, number one, I mean, you've absolutely got to be making more money than you would on a comparable rehab, because if you're not the additional time you're taking, um, you're you're having you know you're you've got opportunity loss right there off the top right sure, so sure. so you so you've absolutely i think your your new build should be making more money than your average rehab um the great thing about infill development right great thing about infill development is that we we our model is to go to high density high value neighborhoods that are highly desirable right where they're just There isn't a product where a builder's doing 80 homes. You know, just it's already mainly built out, you know, out in the suburbs. You know, the big builders can throw up as many homes as they want to. And if stuff hits the fan, I mean, they can start throwing in free basements, free homebots, free decks, um, work out sweetheart deals with in-house financing. You name it. Mm -hmm. And the average small builder can't do any of that. Right. and they'll get smoked they will act. they don't want so you so we we intentionally don't compete with big builders we go with yeah. you know we go we we go into neighborhoods where the only thing we're competing we're competing against with is with rehabs but here we are totally brand new and and we're typically dealing, dealing in these neighborhoods that are highly desirable which are uh right outside of DC it prevents i mean it presents a great value So we are some of the neighborhoods we work in are literally minutes away from Washington, D.C., where a similar product is about two hundred thousand dollars more. And so, you know, by us being where we are, we already present a great value and we've got a product that, you know, we're just we don't have too much competition. Now, with that said, you know, it's the better part of a year. And so we've got to make sure that it's being done in in nine months and not 12 months
0: you know sure. and i'd also assume that the type of capital that you're using for these projects uh and the terms related to the structure of these projects make it a lot easier as well because potentially you know you you front capital for soft costs and 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 things like that or maybe just to acquire the land and then you 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 go in afterwards and use use other sorts of capital for the construction and things like that and i guess by structuring that accordingly you know that's helpful i mean i i remember i would get so many requests for condo conversions in dc that were such a darn headache um for for them i can't believe people and just skinny margins on it and i mean that was such a long process and and you know again the building costs alone were so darn expensive. It, and a lot of the time it's more than the construction costs. I mean, infill lots are in general, some of these, you know, smaller lots, you know, you can pick up for potentially under a hundred thousand dollars. But when you're, when you're doing a, whatever, six unit conversion in, in Columbia Heights, and it's going to cost you six six eight hundred thousand $800,000 just for the lot. It's a big carry for, uh, even if, even if it's cheap debt, and there was a lot of cheap debt uh, mm-hmm. for, for that, it's just big carry. So. I, you know, do you want to expand a little bit about how kind of your your capital raise is set up for a deal like this?
2: Yeah. So, so typically we we typically acquire the land in cash, and typically for land we typically want to be into the land for no more than a lot of times twenty percent or even cheaper than the ARV. I mean, I've I've heard people say for a lot, you should pay up to 33% of it. And I'm like, that doesn't work for us. That (laughs) do not work for us. So we are typically, we want to be in land, but typically no more than 20% of the after repair value. Um, I think to date with, we have purchased land at 10%, 13% and 14% of of ARV. Um, Nice. because once again, it's it's even with cheap. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, even with cheap money. And even when you're not heavily leveraged, um, you know, time is is undefeated when it comes to affecting the bottom line. I mean, and you hit the nail on the head with those condo conversion projects. Uh, and so, you know, D.C. is an expensive place. You know, so for D.C., when we're doing rehabs, typically our acquisition costs might be around four hundred $50,000. our construction costs are 150 to 200 so even when you've got quote-unquote cheap money when that meter is running it is expensive it is thousands of dollars a month that come out that come out of the bottom line and in DC
1: nothing moves quickly yeah, well, those are two great points that I want to bring up. Uh, you know, since Jason on this screen here, he he likes when the clock's ticking. Me and you, we got to get these deals. <laughs> you know, yeah. And that's why we stopped flipping houses is because, you know, we would get to the end and it was just like a fight. Nobody opens the file. Nobody gets the deal done. Who's kept holding the baggage. Us, the real estate investors. Jason gets paid. Title company gets paid. Mortgage broker gets paid. Everybody gets paid except us. We're the last ones. I know. Um, I know bu-
2: bu- buying Jason a boat that he doesn't need.
0: Yeah, know. well, we got we bought him. Apparently, we bought him razors. Ian's, him. Ian's the only one with a boat. Actually, multiple is. boats.
1: <laughs> Long term, <laughs> we uh, Jason's the only one here that you know we bought him razors. He he shaved up. He's nicely clean clean shaven. I'm like the middle growth area, and then you got the full blown beard. It's like oh, three oh yeah, man of the beard. Oh, hey, <laughs> y- y-
0: yesterday I woke up I woke up to listen to this podcast and and ran out, you know, ran outside and I looked at myself in the mirror right before I got outside. I was like, jeez, I look I look terrifying in this. I had this brim hat like this and sunglasses on and a huge beard. He couldn't even recognize me, so I had to shave it. Yeah,
2: if I keep this up, man, the neighbors are definitely gonna call the police the next <laughs> time I'm
1: It doesn't matter if I have a beard or not, they call the police on me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a solid nugget. I've never heard that about the uh, land costs to be twenty percent at ARV. That's that's real interesting. Um, I know we got a few minutes left here. If you could comment, uh, you and like you were saying at the end of this, is that PG and DC are the uh, the slow movers in the group comparatively speaking to what I deal with up here. Um, how do you combat that or? What tips can you provide? Because honestly, I'll probably never go to PG for that exact reason. Between evictions and from what I've heard, you know what hoops you got to jump through. Have you built that into your business to navigate that that process inside of your business between permitting, architecture, construction, everything?
2: Well, so I mean, so far, so I mean, PG is not terrible. PG is not is not bad. I so in my opinion, when it comes to evictions, uh, they're easier to be done. In PG than in than in um, than in Baltimore, you know. Now listen, in both cases, you wait months for an eviction date, and if it happens right. raining that day, uh, tough luck. Right? right. Yeah. Get back in line sometimes. Uh, now DC is um, since it's an expensive city, as you can imagine, there's a money grab, right? Right. A lot of a lot of money to be made in 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 the whole permitting. An inspection process. It's it's red tape city, um, and so to com- to combat that, you've just got to have professionals. Whether you've got to have an architect who knows the process, who is gonna give the reviewers the plans they want to see. In theory, you can get permits in one day for an interior renovation in DC. In theory, you can, right? Also, in real life, you can go eight times, and i right gone eight times.
1: I've, I've definitely seen your post where you're like, I'm going back today. I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, dude. Like- and, right. And so, it, you know, so
2: in the seventh trip, I had to tell tell my architect, I said, look, I'm not going anymore, right? This, right. Is, this is my last trip. And and he insisted, well, he doesn't go to the permitting office. I said, cool. You know, if I go anymore, I'm going to start billing you. right? So what? I, he, he mentioned that he would go at whatever amount per hour. I said, cool, I'm going to bill you twice the amount if I have to go back again, and I'm going to bill you retroactively, right? And I'm going to just bill it against the balance I owe you. Of course he went, but it, it just, it it takes professionals knowing the landscape. And, I, and that goes with your contractors too. I mean, that goes with, with all members of your team, hard money lender, title people, people knowing the landscape. Um t- Sometimes you'll have professionals that don't know the landscape or haven't dealt with a specific market and they're happy to take the work and they're willing and they're willing to try to learn, but sometimes you're not well served. Sometimes they're going to learn at your expense
1: and you want to avoid that. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> I've been down with everybody to learn, right? And you, know, you sometimes you feel bad to do it, but you know, when you're getting in business, depending what side you're on, you know, people are willing to pay and you learn as long as you do the right thing. Um, yeah, that's a, uh, those are all interesting points i think they're all hard knock lessons that we've all learned over time um i agree you hire the professionals get it done right you know your time's worth so much pay somebody get it done right
2: yeah um, and you've, no. you've got to. and here's the thing so you've got to so in any project they're going to be delays yep Some, and, and it's a lot of times it'll be out of your control so that means it's our job to control what we can't control right so that means if this is a three month project, then we do our best to keep it to three months because you know sometimes and you know we're working on a project in DC where inspections were taking two weeks yeah and to get a insulation inspection, it took us three times to pass it. so yeah. a month and a half lost at a uh, with, with, with about six thousand dollar a month debt service. So that cost us 8K. Yeah. So, you know, that was, you know, yeah. So you can't have that happen. Yep. Uh,
0: (laughs) Did we we hit the wrong button? (laughs) I think he hit the wrong button. Uh, He X'd himself out. (laughs) Oh, no. Hey, Vernon. Mid-conversation, he he cut himself out. That's okay. Well, uh, he'll hop back on in a second.
1: Yeah, no, um, he brings up a yeah. valid point before he jumps back on. I just want to finish that thought of the fact that he even knew the fact, the fact that he even knew his numbers that he lost eight thousand dollars or cost him eight thousand dollars. There
2: you go. Sorry, that's all
1: good. We oh, oh, thought you didn't like us, man. You're like, oh, I'm <laughs> we were just. Gonna, I, was, I was trying to summarize your point because I think I knew where you were going. Is that you know you're budgeting these things? That I think it's awesome that you actually know the numbers of. It cost me X number of dollars to hold this property for this extra two weeks. You know, it cost me eight thousand dollars. I can now budget for that on the next project. So Yeah. When when so,
2: so every once in a while we have the unfortunate circumstance of having a stop work order issue. Yeah. And they're typically for pretty dumb reasons. But when we're in the middle of a stop work order, me and Drew's conversation often is, hey, this crap is costing us X amount per day.
1: Yup. You know. Yep. Oh, it's big. It's big. When you start adding it up. People don't realize like, Oh, it's whatever a month. Well, add that up by the day. You're like, geez, man, I need to get out of this project or I need to have it done. It needs to be rented, whatever it may be. Um, but I think you've done a really good job of insulating your business. I remember a few years ago, we were at the mastermind. You said, this is what I want to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And it's, it's cool to see that you've grown. I think you've really insulated. As Jason would say, the DC market's insulated. Um, so I think it's That's awesome. Right. You work. You're working down there and uh, you're having great success. Um, I know Chevrolet, We have a few investors that live right there, and you know I know they love the area. But I think even past that, the fact that you're doing, you're taking on in, infill lots, that you're kind of diversifying your risk and not going and say, I'm doing 10 houses here in this subdivision. You're saying, well, this neighborhood's already good. Let's go fix it up. It's the same thing we do with our rental properties. We don't go find the most ghetto block and say, I'm going to fix this whole block. We go to, no, this is a nice street. It's got one vacant property. Let me go fix this one vacant property. The streets complete. Absolutely, so. absolutely. JD, you got anything else? No, I think I think I'm good.
0: I mean, I agree with the, a lot a lot of uh, a lot of things you're doing. I mean, very similar uh, views related to, to DC. I, I I do not believe DC is fully insulated. I believe DC is more insulated. That's the term more insulated than Baltimore, more insulated than the rest of the country. Although DC and Baltimore overlap a good bit, and I'm also willing to go on record and say that DC in general, there's a very, there's a lot of expensive houses, but compared to other areas of the country, it's still rational and reasonable. Um, (laughs) Compared to other areas of the country, you go to a property in Columbia Heights, you go buy a house like Columbia Heights in San Francisco, it's $4 million. And yes, the reason why is because, I mean, listen, 13 years ago when we started lending in Columbia Heights, our loans were a third of what they are today. So I've seen that go and, and a, you know, a 300% spike is a lot. But again, uh, for, for the demo and who's buying in those particular neighborhoods, you know, for the most part, it's still reasonable. I mean, you can get, um, you know, you can get a nice, a nice style property there for, you know, $600,000, $800,000. That's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, yeah. I'm just saying comparably speaking, um, based on other major metropolitan areas and other major cities, um, you know, what, what DC has based on, you know, what the stability of the job, job market is, um, you know, the the median housing price or median uh, household income in some of those areas. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not crazy. And like we talked about earlier on the show, you either buy a property for whatever, 600 grand or you rent it in the same neighborhood for 3000 bucks. It's the same thing. It it, it equals. And I think that's what makes it, uh, you know, a little better. And, you know, Right now, yes, there's been a ton of unemployment, but the federal government isn't unemployed. I mean, they're, they're, they're this Always you know stable. stable. They're at they're they're at home. They've got they're they're you know in a good spot, so they can continue to pay their rent and pay their pay their mortgage. Not many other places around the country have that ability, um, you know, than th- here. And yes, that that overlaps because there's a lot of um, you know federal government workers all the way up through Howard County into Baltimore County and above as well. So they all kind of, uh, they're all kind of, they're all kind of together, but I agree. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I think the real estate investors in DC that are scared of Baltimore should be. And I think the real estate investors in Baltimore that are scared of DC should be until you really learn both sides of it. And it takes years to learn both sides of it. And You know, the barrier to entry in DC is a little bit more because the price points are a lot more and, you know, it takes more cash and more resources to get into them. But even if you have those cash and resources and you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get your butt handed to to you because you're going to buy skinny margin deals. The permitting process takes forever. You do need to know somebody and pay a professional expediter in order to go get that permit or you're not going to be able to do your project quickly um and again you know ian ian sticks to the ball, you know to the city baltimore city and county because he knows the area and he's got experience there you know you do prince george's and yeah. dc because you because you're comfortable and you know those areas and it's i think it's good for everyone to stay in their lane and i'm not saying di- you shouldn't dabble in other markets or other areas but you know don't just <laughs> dive in head first yeah. without well, without knowing what mean, you're doing right,
2: right so so you've you've got another market you're dealing with like i can't tell you how many properties i see that come deals quote-unquote that come across my desk in dc saying you know here this 110 year old property that's going to be worth 800 or nine hundred thousand dollars when done only needs a hundred thousand dollars worth of work not not happening not, not happening and then i can't tell you how many deals i get from wholesalers about a you know $20,000 twenty thousand dollar property in Baltimore that needs twenty thousand dollars worth of work, that's supposed to be worth one fifty. Right. And I'm like, yeah, the only problem with that is in that neighborhood there there is not a retail market to be had, right? So right. the only person so your only extra strategies are to keep it forever or to eventually sell to another investor. But if you're thinking, you know, some of those neighborhoods are gonna exit at 150. It's, it's not going to happen, but you've just got to know. I mean, so, for instance, I know that Baltimore is unmatched when it comes to cash flow. Right. To to match it, typically you've got to get on a plane and go somewhere. Right. So in our area, Baltimore is almost unmatched in cash flow in D.C. um, cash flow. I mean, cash flow is 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 low. Right. Cash flow is low. I, there are some people who are paying almost three grand a month in debt service. um you know, cash flowing three or four hundred bucks a month. So think I mean, think about the idea of going vacant for one month, right? That's ten months of cash flow gone. Now, yep. of course they'll have the appreciation that most other neighborhoods will never have, but you know, during that time it's 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 not a deal to get in if if you don't have much money.
1: I agree. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, uh, you just gave me a shirt idea. I'm literally going to get our new shirts for a company or say Baltimore is cash flow. I love that. Um, yes. But Hey, I just want to let you know right now, I'm not your competition. I'm not coming to DC. I'm still scared of it. Um, and what you've done is absolutely awesome. We appreciate Thanks, you uh, jumping on here. What's the best way somebody can find you if they have a deal down your way, or if they just want to catch up, say hi, uh, where do we find you? Facebook, Instagram, website, email, whatever you got.
2: Yeah, on uh, both Facebook and Instagram, I am Vern Vaughn One. Um, always on social media. Um, so yeah, man, that, that's where you can find me. Any anytime you've got a deal or some land for me to take a look at, uh, we're, we're always looking, even when we're supposedly not looking, we're
1: looking. Usually, when you find the best deals, right? Even
2: when I tell people I'm all done. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I probably
1: don't want it, but what's the address? <laughs> <laughs> Always when you find the best deals when you're not looking.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. We,
2: we appreciate it, man. It's Th- awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. It, it's, it's an honor, man. It's
1: an honor. Yeah,
0: no, I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. We'll keep the we'll keep the communication going. Uh, maybe in a few weeks, as or months, as some of this stuff changes and people are still adapting even further than they are now. You know, who knows? The business models might change up more. Maybe we'll do it again. And feel free uh, to comment your information if you want on this feed. Uh, if you want to, you know, Facebook page and stuff like that. If you want people to get a hold of you, Hi, man, we appreciate it. Thanks Thank for you, man. Involved. Have a great Bye. day, guys. Cool. Yes, yeah, so and good good tidbits. Listen, I'm always excited to talk to DC folks, DC oh, know. and, and French for folks, because I do a lot of stuff down there and I'm active there. And same with Tim Kane, who we talked to on Monday in DC. Um, it's just good to have a mix. We've we've always been very Baltimore Baltimore focused, and it's good to have a mix because both those areas. I mean, I obviously I'm I'm active in both those areas, but even if you're not active in in both of those areas are such, there's areas that are so close together and one area does impact the other area. And uh, you know, it's in, it's important to to, to to understand that. I agree with the cash flow. If you want, I talked to an investor yesterday who owns properties in DC and his model is like, I'm just gonna park cash in a, in a solid asset class. He's gonna park his cash in a solid asset class uh, with hopes of long-term appreciation and have solid tenants, low maintenance, good asset in general. And he wants to dabble more into the city stuff. And he's he has some stuff in the city as well right now, but he wants higher cash flow. And we weren't able to finance the areas that he wanted to be in. And, and he understood why. I was like, listen, these areas are sea, are, you know, sea areas. They don't have a lot of value. You have a ton of cash flow. And if you want to actively... Manage those, great. Just hard for the lender to get behind, and and he understood it. He appreciated it. And I was like, if you want to be active in these areas, like they're great. They're going to cash flow. Do um, your thing, and you know, diversify. So, uh, I agree. Baltimore cash flow, and you know, strong, solid, stable, long term assets. Maybe DC.
1: Yeah, um yeah, there's not much more to say to that and you know again to go back to Vernon's business plan of just, you know, he really knows his niche market because I, I think I remember when we were at that mastermind event that was at your office is that it was like, "Oh, I'm doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that." And he's like, "I really just want to concentrate on infill lots." And it's just cool to see over the past few years how um how he's grown into that. I know his partner, uh Drew has some uh, rentals up in the Baltimore area and Look again. You know, you got to know your market. I would never go to D.C. and try to claim that I know how to build a house. Sure, I know physically how to build the house, but like you said, I have no clue how to do um, the permitting process. But I, I think that all relates to what we have coming up on the next few days here. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Who do we have for tomorrow? So, so tomorrow
0: we have a real estate buddy of mine. He he's going to hop on tomorrow. I think we're
1: three o'clock. Is that right? Yeah, 2.45, 3 o'clock, I got something going on. Yeah, so on. We're,
0: we're, we're, we're 2.45, we're coming, or 3 tomorrow, we're coming live. He's a real estate agent that you're not going to want to miss. And the reason why, he does quite a bit of business on a yearly basis. He, he's one-off real estate agent, and then he has an admin. Uh, he's lo, he's local in the Maryland area, and I think licensed in D.C. and, and uh, Virginia as well. So more on the uh, D.C., like Montgomery County, Frederick County types of stuff. Um, and the cool part is is he does quite a lot of transactions I think maybe 30 or 40 a year don't quote me on that by him, by himself with one admin but the thing is a lot of it's right now I I think he he rolled out to his to his family's farm in north or south dakota and he's um, he's still doing real estate every day you know he's got a good system in place he he's been an agent since 2002 I think um so like he's been around for a long time as a good you know, sphere and a, and a, and a good network. So, um, so, so he's been around. Y- yes, Glenn, uh, CK is, is the, uh, is the agent. Well, I mean, uh, you know, got to say, is North or South Dakota. And that's a, that's a giveaway for anyone that knows
1: them. <laughs> South the good is like the safe harbor state. They basically said, we're, you know, we're doing our thing. Uh, I think the governor out there, she's, uh, she's been awfully aggressive. So I'd like to hear some of that. Um, now for and, i think didn't you say he has a bunch of you know he has like nine kids or something crazy like that Did i missed here yeah. you earlier yeah, yeah so
0: i'll let him I mean, i'll let him i'll let him tell you all that info but yeah, i to he, hear how he manages I,
1: uh his life because i can barely do it with two um and then uh friday I, I do have some uh i do have some news not only for our special guest on friday but for everybody out there today we received our deposit for the eidl loan um, originally, I thought it was supposed to be the preface to what the PPP loan was and you're gonna be able to re, re, um, roll that money into the PPP loan. I was misunderstood. EIDL was a $10,000, you could get a $10,000 advance on it. Um, we wound up getting $2,000. Um, it's based mm-hmm. on the employees you currently have on the books. So so, a 1,000 um,
0: employee or something? Is that what it
1: comes yeah, out to? Employee, um, it can be rolled into the PPP loan. Um, so we'll most likely do that and try to get it to become forgivable. If not, it's at one percent over eighteen months, and we'll just pay it back. Um, the good news is though, it showed up. No paperwork, no signatures, no nothing. It just showed up in our bank account. I don't know how. I don't know why. Uh, I asked our banker. She said, well, "You must have applied for it. You're good to go." <laughs> so, Two thousand dollars from to Donald. We'll see what's up. Um, so, so we went from we went from nobody.
0: Nobody hearing anything slash nobody getting money to now is just showing up in people's accounts and yeah. without us even without us even realizing. I don't have any, as far as I know, we have no uh, random dollar dollars showing up in our accounts.
1: Yeah. From what I know. There is a Facebook group that I've been following. As you know, there's been some, you know, I'm not here to be political, but there's some stuff going on in Annapolis. You know, people are protesting or doing whatever. Um, but there is a Facebook group that I follow just to kind of watch what's going on action wise. Um, nobody from the state, from what I can tell is, you know, however many weeks we're going on, nobody's received any state funding, any other information besides what I reported the other day. So that's um, that's pretty interesting there that, you know, it's it, everyone's having the same common problem at the state level. Um, but uh, I did talk to Jason Schwartzberg who we had on a few weeks ago who ran down to the PPP, said he just finally got funded. Um, today but the way all this relates to Friday is that in the CARES Act um, in the CARES Act there's a there's something in there there was two things about depreciation and taxes Um, we're gonna have someone that special Jerry Lots coming on Friday who specializes in cost segregation and is very well versed into what the terminology is he's gonna do a case study on it Um, he's also gonna discuss how uh, the CARES Act is going to be allowed that you can potentially look back and offset some of your tax earnings in previous years. Um, is the best way to explain it, Jay? I don't know if you do a better job on it because um, I'm not very well versed on it yet.
0: Yeah, I mean the ex- the explanation you gave me earlier made a lot of sense. Uh, I know my mind's going. I can't slow down. I mean right? it's it, I mean I and and it's a new concept to me. I don't think it probably benefits us in our our. Uh, Holding company, our real estate uh, rentals. Um, now, obviously, you know, if you're buying, you know, I think, I, I guess in a nutshell, I guess the easiest way to explain it is changing up uh, your, the amount that you're going to be depreciating per in, per improvement or per, I guess I don't want to use the word asset, per improvement on the property. So for instance, let's say uh, you normally depreciate it, what is it, 27 and a half years? Um, in, in general, rental property, let's say you bought, you, um, you you know, you purchase a property and then you, you add a new roof as an improvement and your new roof's $8,000 instead of doing a 27 and a half year depreciation on that roof alone, you can segregate that roof out as a whole and depreciate that over a certain period of time, call it like 60 months, right? So your roof, you might depreciate it over 60, over 60 months. So you can get, and obviously the, with the main benefit of, you know, getting the majority of it, you know, uh, every year for for five years. I believe there's some items that you can depreciate over a shorter period of time, even a year, which is excellent because that gets picked up for the most part, just like, you know, an expense. And, you know, I wish we were all fortunate enough that you can expense all of your capital improvements, but unfortunately you can't uh, as you own rental property. So I think that's where it is. And Ian's got a guy that he's been talking to that comes in and audits your setup to determine what your most benefit is. Because obviously, you know, you don't want to take full depreciation up front. Um, you know, that doesn't give you sometimes full value. But at the same time, we don't want to have to depreciate everything over the uh, 27 and a half years as well, because you're not getting the major benefit from that. But it's, it's, it's you know, different based on who you are and, and your entire portfolio. And if you have other types of uh, income that's coming in that you want to offset, I think you mentioned, Ian, that you guys are really going to only do it on maybe two or three of the projects, because that will give you enough uh, uh enough but you also don't want to top load it and you know front loaded and then you have no depreciation after that that's not a good answer either
1: exactly and it, you know because it all comes back out in recapture and sale but the way it relate, and you know we have some other big projects coming up so we can pick up a lot there um is that the other thing is you know the way it relates back to the cares act is that once you do that or anything from uh this year that's a net loss there's a potential that you can credit it against years where you had positive earnings. So if you're negatively affected by this or you do something like this, like a cost seg study, um, and you can pick up bigger losses this year, um, there's a potential that you, can, if you have additional losses for this year, you can offset previous years and actually get a refund. And I think that's where the CARES Act comes in and that's kind of where I was getting confused, um, but we'll, we'll clear that up on Friday. So it should be an interesting case study um, and go from there. And yes, Glenn, Carhartt is apparently not delivering because this. I've had this sweatshirt for probably about okay. five years, um, and it's still going strong. So. Um. Yeah.
0: No. No. Uh, yeah. No stains and no fading of Carhartt. Does that mean that you don't you don't wear it a lot or you just don't wash no, it? No. No. Uh,
1: I got my new camera. I put some new settings on it. It said, "Give me a new sweatshirt look." Uh, it's the lighting, the new camera, the new setup. So. Um, yeah. You know, I talked about this before. I think it's you know we need to get a sponsorship from Carhartt.
0: Yeah, <laughs> make the call. Make the yeah. call. Uh, tell me. Tom, them we begin at about two thousand views per Facebook post. Yeah, and you know you'll promise to wear a Card Hard shirt every time we do it.
1: I do have one sponsor. <laughs> I do have one sponsor, and it's only because I own the other half of that company. Is that? Like, okay, yeah, here you go, Glenn. I got some Brotherhood Buff shirts. If you want one of them, Brotherhood You own um, Dunkin' Donuts. No, it's, that's not Dunkin' Donuts. Is an original design by the brother of Buffs? So, all right. Looks like looks
0: I, like it looks like a Dunkin' shirt. All right. So we'll, we're gonna hop off. I'm just gonna go through all these real quick and make sure we didn't miss any questions. Shawn, Magnus, uh, great. Yes, I shaved. Yes, I shave. Thanks. Uh, recap. Best quote of the day. Uh, or best best day to list the property was yesterday. The, the next best day was today or is today. Vernon. Great tip by Vernon. Yep. Uh, land is twenty percent, um, or less. Stuff, or less of the ARV, although that will obviously depend on, you know, some areas uh, would be altered from that. But yes, agreed. Um, uh, thanks, Sean, for the kind words. Uh, maybe one day we'll get you to hop on here. You know, reach out to me with your schedule, and we'll see what you got, what you're up to, and we'll and you can hop on the show. No worries. Um, yep, Vernon's the man. Uh, Ian and I have known Vernon for a little bit now, so when we are all allowed to leave our houses except Ian who leaves every day, uh, we can hang out. Uh, Baltimore equals good cash flow. Yep, talked about that. Um, Marcia, nice job with the loan deposit. Ian, Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) I wish Dunkin' Donuts was open. That's one thing that's not freaking open and there's one in every street corner by my house and uh, I figured it was open and went there, just assuming that it was open. Why wouldn't it be? And it wasn't. But, I mean, they have a drive-thru. So, all right. Well, so we got 3 o'clock, a little before 3 o'clock tomorrow. We'll try to put a reminder out ahead of time. Uh, as always, you can watch all of these on the Hard Money Bankers Facebook uh, page, Equity Warehouse Facebook page, uh, the Hard Money Bankers YouTube page, the Real Estate Investing Incubator Meet um, uh, Sorry Facebook group. There's a few other groups that we stream to. And then coming very shortly, these this is going to get streamed to my personal LinkedIn page as well. Um, we've just been trying to go through the approval on that. So I guess if uh, there's nothing...
1: We got realestatereservepodcast.com where you can go back, listen to any old episodes. And we're Ooh. on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever Lisbon, wherever the heck you listen to podcasts. We're on there. I just know how to find it on iTunes because I do re-listen to these every day on the way home because I'm trying to make the show better. Um, but in the end, we're just raw guys trying to bring you real content. And it's just us and our friends talking about real stuff. So,
0: All right, man. All right. Check you all later. Thanks for tuning Thank into the real Estate, real Estate Reserve, Reserve Podcast. podcast. Do, us favor do us a favor and like, comment, and share our broadcast. It helps the algorithm and helps us spread the word, too. Until next time, thank you for tuning in.